All right, Cameron Lazy's back for episode three, and the news is all good for Madison Square Garden, where the Duke Blue Devils have started the season with a 68-66 win over the number three Kansas Jayhawks. I'm Shane, joined by the OG Ariana Ely, whoop, whoop. and joined for the first time ever by Mr. Aaron Kirschenfeld, uh, a great Duke fan, a man of wit and humor, and... A former Duke mascot. That is the truth, and we're going to be asking him much about that today and as the year goes on. Ariana, I would love to start with you because I think uh, when we're talking about the first games of the year, you want to win, especially a game like this, which is very high profile, but you're also looking to see what the identity uh, of a team is going to be like. Last year, it was very clear immediately we were going to have some incredible offensive talent, uh, solid defense, and absolutely no shooting. Um, and this year so far, in as much as we can judge from one game, what are you seeing? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that we saw tonight, biggest things that shocked me, um, in regards to things that I was worried about was the energy that this team has and our ability to be tough when we needed to. Um, I think I was really concerned with us like being pushed around, especially going up against Kansas, who has some really big physical players. And I was really impressed to see how our guys held their own. Um, you know, between Jack White having an off- awesome defensive game and like Matt Hurt and Alex O'Connell contributing big things down in the lane um, and really kind of hassling the Kansas offense. Um, it was really just phenomenal to see such a strong defensive effort from our guys and to see some really big energy pickup moments when we needed it. So very encouraged by that. Yeah. And Aaron talking about that, a a team obviously is going to look way different in March than they're going to look in November. Pardon me. But you also can maybe learn a little bit about a team's character. And I thought the really big moment was when Kansas came out and put together a 13 to one run in the second half Mm -hmm. and things seemed to be unraveling. And then all of a sudden uh, Duke responded. What did you what did you see there, and, and what does it tell us uh, about the team early on? Well, I, I think the, the question is, is a team really different from, from November to March and, and what we saw last year? Uh, I don't know. I, I think there really is a good argument that we played our best game in the same champions uh, uh, tip-off or whatever it is uh, against Kentucky, and then the complexion of the team didn't really evolve or, or change in that many ways through the season, right? Yeah. So, you know, we we saw a college basketball game. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, there. Yeah, uh, that was some. It was. Uh, if you like college basketball, uh, you probably liked that. Uh, uh, so, sure, you know, you want to you want to see them be able to to withstand the run, um, because the run always comes, uh, especially against a talented team and and a you know a veteran team. Uh, but you you do want to see the team evolve. And I think that's going to be the fun thing about this year uh, is watching that instead of watching the same types of of great performances that we saw last year, every game. uh, I think you're going to get a little more seasoning uh, uh, this time. Yeah, that's a great point. And and in some ways I think like the trajectory can be reversed. If anything, you're right, Aaron, that first game last year against Kentucky disguised the fact that we just didn't have any shooters. That was one of our best shooting games from three, and mm-hmm. we didn't think we were good shooters coming in, and then all of a sudden we were like, oh, maybe we are. Maybe this is like the best team we had since you know the Kyrie team, the way they looked before Kyrie went down with injury. But you're right, this team is going to evolve, and uh, I, I think what we can see from this game is that they at least have the tools and the sort of... Uh, the toughness under adversity to mm-hmm. evolve into something good. And I'm really excited to see how that happens. And and like you said, I'm, I'm kind of excited to go on the journey. Um, I think this game, we owe most of the victory to our defense. Yes. Uh, and Ariana, so there is a question too. Um, where does our good defense begin and where does Kansas's futility start? Because they did have, I think, 28 or 29 turnovers. Yeah. They almost set a team, like a, a school record. And Kansas has been playing basketball for quite a long time. They almost broke their own record for, for turnovers. So, uh, But I did think it was like fantastic defense. But what is the balance there? Was Kansas just bad? Were we really good? Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a really uh, good question. We also talked about them in regards to not not just our defense and how much that like troubled them, but also the balance between all of their turnovers and all of our missed shots, kind of how, how those things measure out. Um, but I think when you look at the, um, 
pressure that we created on the ball in the moments that we flustered their offense, either getting turnovers with shot clock violations, steals, or them just clearly throwing the ball out of bounds. Um, I, I think that really shows that it wasn't just them being sloppy in moments. It really was our guys always being there no matter where they were with the ball and like trying to stop them from kind of making any progress and like getting into the lane or even when they did get into the lane everybody crashing down on it so that they couldn't get a, a bucket in um or if it was they were going to get a bucket up it was going to be heavily contested um and so i think I think that's going to bode well for us in being a really suffocating defense. Um, and it's also especially good to see how much of that came from um, like we didn't have to press to kind of get that sort of suffocating pressure. We were able to do it in the half court and just really shut them down. So I think their turnovers definitely helped our situation since we weren't making buckets. Um, but I don't think that's the full story of, of it. Oh, totally. And I, I think, too, I mean, two of the most profound turnovers were shot clock violations, mm -hmm. like you're talking about. Yeah. And there were two straight possessions, yeah. I think around the five-minute mark, yeah. where they just mm -hmm. had no answers. They weren't kicking the ball out of bounds. It's just that they had absolutely nothing for that defense. Um, and really, when you look at that 13-1 that to run, I mean, Kansas scored, what, uh, 66 points total. Mm -hmm. One of them was a desperation, three at the buzzer. Other than that, they really just couldn't score the entire day. Coach K's double teams down low worked extremely well. Um, and I thought a key moment uh, was when uh, I think at one point they had uh, Carey and Hurt in the game at the same time. And that coincided with this big run that Kansas went on. Yep. Uh -huh. Coach K brought Javin in. But I think even more importantly, Aaron, he brought in Jack White. Um, you were saying, I mean, he's your player of the, of the game and uh, hard to argue with that. Player of the game, he scored three points, <laughs> uh, uh, and and a, and a really pivotal uh, three points. Um, you know, I think uh, everyone who's watched Duke basketball understands um, uh, his shooting struggles. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, he started with an air ball. <laughs> he did. <laughs> uh, I think he made he he made a couple in in the exhibition games. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but you know, last season I, I think they it was a streak of of more than twenty uh, missed threes in a row. Uh, you know, no matter how good you are at anything, right? Uh, uh, that level of futility is going to get in your head. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, you know, he he made that shot consistently enough through the last couple years um, where we need it. Um, and so, yeah, his his def defensive effort was veteran. It was really good. Um, uh, the the play towards the end of the game where where he snuck in uh, inside the uh, the Kansas big yeah. man. I don't yeah. remember which which I was guy. A it, it was a sure. rookie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know he took he took one or two steps uh, stepped right in front of him and uh, it was a crucial you know crucial mm -hmm. possession in a in a uh, you know couple possession uh, a type game. That was just really good. Um, he was getting his hand on the ball everywhere. Everywhere. Um, uh, causing causing a lot of of trouble. Um, and you like to see it. He is like, it was like watching two players on the floor at the same time, the way he was playing defense. He yeah. stopped a couple like three on one breaks by himself. There's a play early on where, um, someone was driving and he was supposed to be the help defender. And he did something that you can only do if you have really good defensive instincts, which is at the last moment, he just completely stepped off the driver. <laughs> yeah. The yep. driver threw the yep. ball right to where, right to where Azabuki was, uh -huh. but he's just so clever that way. And he is so smart. Um, and I, I just think one interesting thing early on about this team is, uh, yeah, he made a huge three-point shot, but to a certain extent, I still think Jack White is a little bit hopeless on offense. Uh, we saw a couple times where there was one possession in particular where he was on the wing and he was kind of like pump faking from three and nobody was buying it. He tried to drive and I think essentially like fell over and just sort of yeah, threw the ball the, away. Three yeah. defenders. Uh, yeah, and three defenders. And so... We talked about that moment when Coach K brought Jack White and Javin in. There is right now a little bit of a devil's bargain here where we're talking about we have Matthew Hurt and, and uh, Vernon Carey who are clearly the superior offensive players, but also just as clearly the inferior defensive players. Yep. So he wanted to have them in at that moment, and Kansas absolutely ran roughshod. He brought Jack White in. He brought Javin in. And uh, you could even say with the guards, he brings Jordan Goldwire in for defense sometimes. Mm -hmm. But all three of them are just have nothing to give on the, on the offensive side. So my take on it was that in moments of high pressure, Coach K is always going to go uh, with defense over offense. But I, I do think that 
looking ahead, we are a little self-limited in that way in that I, I don't want to see Matthew Hurt not being in clutch moments. I don't, you know, Kerry came back in because Javin got hurt, but Ariana, I don't want to see him out for clutch moments. What, what do you make of that uh, kind of burgeoning dynamic? Yeah, I think that's going to be the kind of balance we have to figure out for the season. Um, this, do we go hard defense or hard offense? Um, and I think we're constantly going to be toying with that. Yeah. Um, as Vernon and Matt are learning to be better defenders. Um, I think there were moments where they were really good and moments where they were kind of down in the lane contesting um, Agbaji and Azabuki. Azabuki. Um, but they just don't have the quickness and the anticipatory skills of where's this offensive player going or where's the ball going to be placed and how do I skirt around this to disrupt this offense? And those are things that the senior leaders, Jack and Jav, did contribute today in really meaningfully. Um, and so I think in in games where we are going up against teams that have a really strong offense like that, we're going to have to pl- use a defensive strategy and kind of go defense and pop in our offensive guys when we can, um, but really buckle down and hope that our defense holds strong. Um, but then in games where we're a little less worried about how strong that offense is, then we can let our offensive pl- like stars play a little bit longer and get into their rhythm. Yeah, that's right. And you saw Kerry a couple times early in the first half didn't sort of hedge or or yep. didn't step up in time, and Kansas ended up getting easy layups on that. And that's the kind of thing I, I think that drives Coach K nuts, and you can even see it by his substitution patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also do want to talk about Cassius Stanley. Like, holy shit. I mean, What a man. Yeah, what a man. And, and talking about Coach K, clearly trust him. He was in at the end of the game. He was in in the key moments, and he absolutely delivered. Um, Aaron, he was, we were talking before the game, he was our, by the rankings, our fourth best recruit. So he was, you know, not expected to be as good as any of these guys. Um, but he seems to me so far to be much more than just an athlete. Yeah, he was good. Um, uh, he was, uh, he's an energy guy. Um, uh, I think he missed one shot, uh, in the game, uh, which is uh, pretty efficient. Uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, and and he really did seem to um, to bring that kind of excitement uh, to the game that that perhaps the the at least the first exhibition was was definitely missing. Um, so you know, good to see him get into the act. He's a he's a raw ish talent, um, uh, clearly lacking some ball handling skills, uh, but. Uh, but someone whose athleticism is going to get him through probably the college season, um, you know, which is uh, which is what we want to see. Uh, I, you know, I hope that uh, uh, he doesn't become a liability um, uh, in the way that that can happen during the season. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, great game, great game for the for the young man. Uh, although what he's twenty though they said on the TV that is a that is a bizarre thing that I I want to know more about <laughs> maybe we can look that up as we go on but I also want to recreate the conversation we had during the game where you guys were doing the facial composite of, <laughs> yes. of who Cassius Stanley is I, I I think you guys kind of nailed it so yeah. go back through that because it really was brilliant and and everyone listening pull up a picture of Cassius Stanley's face before you hear the, what comes yeah, next yeah yeah and it's like it's it's been funny as i've watched him play like the more i look at him the more i'm like there so much of him is familiar and reminds me of previous duke players that i've loved um players like Trajan Langdon come to mind um i think we talked a little bit about um Rodney Hood uh a little bit of Lance Thomas in there with like the shape of his face um and i'm sure i am missing others we uh, a touch of the uh much uh contested trevon duval i think is how you pronounce his last name um apparently it was changed several times even in his yeah. short career at duke it was indeed um but but yeah and again i'm sure i think we mentioned andre dawkins um a little bit too um yeah these guys with with a lot of talent mm-hmm. um obvious uh, and you just wonder how they'll fit into the team, um, uh, and uh, you know whether the so these guys are all very talented, right? And they've all had a, a major deal made about them. 
throughout their entire lives, yeah, right? You don't, you don't get to be in the top 30 of, of, of anything that you do in life, uh, without feeling pretty damn good about yourself. Um, and so uh, when you can finally blend that, uh, with another group of people who you recognize are equally, if not more talented than you, that's where you, you really see someone take that next step, uh, in their development. I don't think, uh, Trayvon Duval, uh, made that step when he was at Duke. Um, uh, I think Andre Dawkins got there mm -hmm. eventually, uh, but not when he started his, his, his time at college. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, the, the face mash is good. Uh, <laughs> it's the, it's the RJ Barrett thing that Ariana and I were talking about the other day where that's what you want. A guy who's amazing comes in and is like thought to be the number one recruit in the country and then has a Zion in front of him, yeah. <laughs> but still, but still manages to be humble and, and not a like complete like prima donna or anything like that. It, it's yeah, it, it's the, it's a thing you want. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. I have a, a secret source <laughs> as I was you guys, that, um, uh, knew Cassius Stanley, uh, or had people who knew him when he was a freshman at Harvard Westlake high school in California. Uh, then he, I think he won a state championship there, then transferred away and finished his college career at Sierra, sorry, his high school career at Sierra Canyon. Um, another huge basketball school in California. That's where but, um, uh, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade's kids are right now. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, yeah, a big one, mm -hmm. but yeah, the word on the street is that he was a little bit, um, prima Donna ish. I don't take that with enormous grains of salt. I don't know if that's true, but it comes from a, uh, a source I trust. Um, I do want to make one more comment here while we're talking about faces. I got a message from my friend Spike on Gchat during the game. Uh, just three lines. It says, LOL, Matthew Hurt. What a face. What a Duke fucking face. So <laughs> there you go. He's not wrong. If there are any Ducators, uh, yeah, pull up a picture of Matthew Hurt and, and get your fill, I suppose. Okay, um, but does John Shire have a Duke fucking face? I mean... That's a good question. His face is very memeable. Like, if you Google John Shire sure. faces, like, every time he's gone up for a shot, the faces that he makes are hysterical, so... Well, they I, used to put them on the big poster. Right, oh, yeah. Was, yeah, when, uh, when he played Maryland or whatever. Yep. Um, that, but, let's see. That is a question, right? Who is going to be the hateable Dukey on, yeah. on this team? Yeah. I don't know. I I just think Matthew Hurt's a little too calm and mm -hmm. serene to, to pick up that mantle. Uh, Unruffleable. Yeah. Jack White, too good looking as mm -hmm. we... <laughs> he took a boot to the face today and he was bleeding and he still stayed in the game. And he still looked good. I he mean, did. it honestly gave him even more sort of like... So ruggedly handsome. <laughs> you can't hate haircut. Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's Javin. I'm looking at the roster now. I have no. I don't clue. know because Javin and Jack's friendship is just so endearing. Like, how can you hate either component of that? And it can't be Trey. Like, nobody can. No hate one Trey. hates Trey. No one Everyone hates Trey. loves Trey. Even if you hate Duke, you love Trey. Alex O'Connell, maybe. It can't be. No. No. I mean, he's ridiculous. That is, yeah. Yeah. Seconded. In, well, in in ways that you know that. Uh, 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 Grayson Allen was not ridiculous. Um, uh, Grayson uh, Allen was like terrifying and, and sad, but not, not no, no, right? He was, yeah, he was tragic. Um, uh, sure, O'Connell is good. He's obviously very skilled. Um, mm -hmm. Has been since uh, he had that uh, a real breakout game. Uh, was that last year or two? Syracuse? The Syracuse yep, game last was it? Year. That was last year. Yeah. Um, sure, but <laughs> but the haircut. Yeah, it's true. I was saying it's either Euro trash. Uh, having just been in Ireland, there's like a Euro trash element to the haircut, but also like a guy who could be shooting rats in a trailer park in the good old United States. Um, I don't, I don't know which one it is. I'm gonna have to study him a little bit more. But I do want to speak about him in a positive way because I thought this was one of the most positive games we've seen from Alex O'Connell. Uh, it wasn't as dynamic as the Syracuse game you guys were just talking about, but. He was definitely a positive force out there and making strong defensive plays. And I just felt good about having him there where I, I don't previously. You're shaking your head, Aaron. Well, I don't hate the haircut. I think that's what I want to say. Okay. Um, wow, bold statement. I don't hate it. I think he's he's clearly got a personality, uh, but but it seems like a fun personality. So um, you're into Alex O'Connell. Yeah, oh, very. Um, yeah, and he, he's also a hell of a basketball player. Uh, he really... Uh, um, he made key shots. Um, he's so athletic. Mm -hmm. He's insanely athletic. Yeah. 
and uh, you know another another dynamic piece. I, I so uh, you know I think um, one of the reasons we're doing this right is how do you how do you go on after Zion, right? As a yeah. Duke fan, absolutely. And start a podcast. And start a podcast. Uh, and miss him constantly. The joy is is in the in the collective, um, and it's in watching the team learn to play together, uh, watching the 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 individuals uh, exercise their strengths um uh play off each other mm-hmm. um because i i think that's that's what it always yeah i don't want to sound like an, an old guy um no do it we need an old guy we need the old guy energy in this podcast um but you know the the pre i mean the pre real one and done era was about teamwork um and it was so about terrible watching players come back, uh, seeing, uh, their maturity, um, uh, their changing role within the team. And, and I think after a couple of years of, you know, really star freshman classes that, mm-hmm. that went away, uh, maybe this season and, and sure there, there are first round picks on the team. Um, but there's a little more mystery, uh, this time. And and a little bit bit more that that we're gonna get to watch develop uh, over the course of the season. Yeah, that's really well put. And I think it, it's sort of um, it's a different way that as I've become more of an old man of sort of defining fanhood. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even why I like soccer now <laughs> more than I used to because it is. It's like there's there's little joys to be found in fandom, even if this is the kind of team that doesn't go to the final four or, or whatever, just to see how they develop. Um, and along with that development, I just like to see, you know, like to sort of learn a little something about the players' personalities in the in the Crucible, even in a November game against Kansas that ultimately is not going to matter a lick once, you know, once March comes along. Um, and that's what I liked about today, too. I, I just felt the toughness of that team. I think they could have folded at a yeah. certain point. I think they easily could have. Um, and they didn't. And, and they, they're tough. And I think we have tough players who are up for it, even if they're not the most skilled players. Uh, I mean, they are highly skilled, I should say, even if they're not as skilled as we were spoiled to have seen last year. Um, let's talk about Trey Jones, Ariana. He, I feel like if there's one thing that the Duke PR machine has told every single announcer and media figure, it's that Trey Jones has to be carry on more of the scoring load this year. Uh, don't know if that's true. I do know what we saw today from him. He was spectacular on defense, which we've come to expect. Uh, we've really been spoiled by him on that end and... No reason to think that's going to stop. On offense, though, I do think like almost like the bug was in his head that on certain moments I have to score, I have to score. And it did, to me, seem like maybe forcing it a little at certain points in a way that I just didn't see as necessary. Yeah, um, I, I'd second that, that there were moments where he either drove to the basket and then drove into like two giant defenders and had nothing um, or would pull up for a shot that was kind of questionable at best with nobody there to rebound. Um, but those things said, he was also our leading scorer tonight with 15 and without each of those points, we would have lost this ball game. Um, And so in some senses, while yes, the notion that he has to be the one to carry the scoring load, um, I think might be a little bit overblown and pushes him out of um, his rhythm as a really brilliant point guard. Um, And hopefully as the other components of the team develop, he's able to ease back into that position. And maybe, maybe the season for him kind of goes like this at the beginning of the season, while our other pieces are figuring out how they mesh together on the court, he has more of a responsibility to guide this team with his scoring. In addition to um, his ability to distribute the ball, because he still had seven assists tonight. Um, And then as they fall into their rhythm, he's able to dial back his points and distribute the ball to them more when they get into their rhythms and find their spots on the court, um, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how his game ends up evolving. Hopefully as this goes and with him kind of taking on a little bit more of that responsibility, um, his shots shore up a little bit more. Um, and that like confidence in him pulling a three, even when it's a little bit contested increases so that he can, like I'm thinking of Tyus Jones, like big game in the 2015, um, you know, tournament. And, 
you know, granted, I, you know, not necessarily fair to compare him to his brother. Sure, and I'm yeah. sure that he's heard plenty of those comparisons, but just from I, me alone on Twitter, right? Harassing him constantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would surely love to, and I anticipate us seeing big moments from Trey this season. And I'm looking forward to those. Yeah, it's in his blood. And, but I do think you're, you make an excellent point of, of how the season could go along and, and he, what he's doing now, he might not need to. And I think that will come as a relief to him, honestly, yeah. just for his style of game when he doesn't have to. Like today, he was 5 for 14, which is fine. Uh, it's not great, but also, you know, when you look down, like, you know, Wendell Moore was 1 for 6. Alex O'Connell was 3 for 10. Mm-hmm. And you had a couple guys who shot really well, like Cassius Stanley and Vernon Carey was fine. So it wasn't like Trey Jones stuck out like a sore thumb. Right. But I don't think he needs necessarily to be attempting 14 shots. Or at least in the idealized version of this Duke team that I see, I don't think, yeah, it, it consists of, of Trey Jones even really getting to double digits. Yeah. Um, but like you said, he still facilitated six assists or seven assists on the night. Um, he was our leading scorer at 15. He made a huge bucket, got a little lucky with the roll mm-hmm. uh, late. But yeah, I mean, you know, it was so cool to see all these guys step up. I mean, we talked about Cassius Stanley looking really good. Um, Hurt didn't have a great shooting performance, but he stepped up and just absolutely nailed a huge three from the corner. Um, I didn't see much fear out there, Aaron. And I, to me, that is like a, just a palpable relief for me looking at this team and, and especially talking about what you were talking about earlier of where do they go from here? Well, it's not going to be into the fear zone. I have something to say about the Trey Jones talking point. Let's have it. Okay. All right. <laughs> you don't need my permission ever. Um, I think it's, it's a, it's a smokescreen. Uh, I think all of this uh, this involvement by Trey Jones uh, is uh, it, it was predetermined, right? Coach K sat with the team. He said, "We're going to push this talking point through all of our <laughs> all uh, various, yeah, all, various uh, media channels." And it's not to it's not to confuse the the opponents. It's so deep. It's to confuse Trey Jones himself. Okay, <laughs> so that. He actually experiences that type of emotional release that you were talking about <laughs> earlier, where you know he's he's going to be attempting these shots and, and it's not going to be going great. Then he's going to he's going to really find uh, where he is. You know, sometime around mid January, maybe late January, he'll have this realization. The entire time, Puppet Master Coach K, uh, we all know who I'm talking he's about. He's our fearless leader. <laughs> he's pulling the strings. He's been doing this since the end of last season. Um, uh, he knew he was he was losing those three guys, and he started implanting this narrative, uh, which is going to to ultimately I, you can't leave it to chance, right? That that things are going <laughs> that things are going to gel for Trey Jones. You have to psychologically set him up, set the world up for the narrative uh, to take over. Um, so yeah, that that happened. I love that. So I just want to Thank make you. sure I have it clear. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Coach K is such an emotional puppet master yeah. that he's purposefully introducing stress and even failure yes. early on to Trey Jones so that the relief will be so profound that he emerges from his chrysalis and becomes finalized in his form yeah. toward the end of the year. And not only to Trey Jones, to all of us. Um, we all have to experience the emotional change together <laughs> in order to keep us cemented to the, to the, the loyalty. Um, I... Beautiful. What okay. do you do? You really think I mean, he's got a, a leadership academy, right? Oh, true. Or, true. They don't just give that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Especially very, very powerful basketball coaches. Never before has that been seen. Never. No, that is something that yeah you have to earn. It's like uh, it's like the highest merit badge in in the scouts, like the eagle badge, right? Or yeah. Whatever it is. He was in the military. He so gets psyops. Was Coach K? Here's a question: Was he ever in the military after college? I don't know. To the internet. I feel like we would have heard that before, right? Yeah, yeah. we would hear about his service, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I love that, Aaron. And I, I want to hear more uh, yeah. over the course of the year about how you, you talk about personally, even with us, that he's mm-hmm. leading us to a path of yeah. of sort of salvation. Um, uh, Coach K? Yeah, well, you said it's not just Trey Jones. It's not just the players. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. No, I, I, but that's emotional manipulation. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. That's how you keep us on the hook, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not sure it's salvation. I, I think he wants us to, uh, just like any playwright, uh, uh, screenwriter, what what have you, um, 
he knows how this show goes. Okay. Um, it's it's been forty years that he's been at Duke. Um, uh, you know, the season has predictable rhythms and uh, turning points. And I think at this point, if he wasn't doing that, I would be disappointed. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I want to stay in the ether here, Ariana, and talk about somebody who Coach K, under Aaron's theory, must have a long plan for, must really be looking into the future. And that's <laughs> oh, Wendell man. Moore. Uh, Wendell Moore, uh, I, we talked about it last time. I thought he was the most disappointing figure in the exhibition games which really is not a big deal. But uh, unfortunately, tonight it's a bigger deal. Um, he came out. I just, I'll read you my notes from like his first thing uh, that I took in Gchat while I was watching the game. It was, oh, of course. Oh, more starts rough, turnover, bad foul, turnover, miss layup, blocked, air ball. Yeah. Then I stopped taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think that, he that, came that took out. like the first seven minutes, but then there wasn't much more, was there? Yeah, no. He only played 12 minutes this game, and I think the bulk of those were in the first half, and then maybe he played like two possessions in the second half, if that. Um, and I just, I feel for the kid. Um because in those moments, so like particularly looking at the first turnover he had, like you saw the idea that he wanted. He cut under the basket, went to kick the ball out, and he just tossed it right to Kansas, yeah. like right to their guys under the bucket. And I think he did that twice. Um, and so you can see the ideas there, but I think he's kind of trying to force his like position on the court with this team because he isn't quite sure where he fits or what skill sets he has that he should be using yet um or exactly like how to put them into motion um and so i'm not like that's a thing that gets progressively more difficult if you're not getting minutes in games um and it's kind of like this catch-22 where you're not producing and you're not sure how you fit into the offense or sometimes the like defensive strategy and so you get pulled but then because you've gotten pulled that just makes that worse um and so I'm a little bit nervous that he's gonna kind of fade away and be quiet this season and I don't want that to happen for him because he's incredibly talented um I think he just needs to I know sometimes I'm, I'm I'm wondering if he like mentally needs to give himself a break and settle sure, into sure, the sure, game. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if that's a component of this, that is also making him overthink the things that he's deciding to do and then leading to him pushing for things too much when the opportunities aren't there. Like that's what happened with both of those turnovers under the basket where ideally he shouldn't have taken the ball there yet. Or if he was going to, he should have, like gone up and tried to draw the foul. And it was almost like he was thinking of too many things in his head and then it was too late. So he just dished it and yeah. it was a turnover. Yeah. And it, it does seem psychological. I mean, the performance was abysmal on the whole, but as you said, I mean, there was one move where he got into the lane, he had a great drive mm -hmm. and scored and you go, Oh yeah, there's the five-star recruit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the guy that is obviously like fully talented. Um, and I thought another, like the point you made about, you know, he doesn't necessarily know where he fits in. It's a two-way street because when a player doesn't know, the coach is also not yep. going to know. Uh, they don't have all the answers, and the player has to forge his way. They have a vision, but the player has to forge his way into that vision. Um, I think the shorthand after last year for players like this is always going to be Cam Reddish, mm -hmm. somebody who's got a ton of talent but never maybe quite finds their space. The difference, obviously, this year is that you know you, you knew your guys last year. You knew RJ yep. and Zion are just going to be these two of the best players we've ever seen at Duke. Um, this year... There is a spot for Wendell Moore. I mean, there really is a spot, and, yep. and we could certainly use him. I think when we went over in our very first episode, who's going to be the most important player where if he's good, it's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I kind of threw his name out there because it's like we don't know what he's like, you know, and if he's really good, that's great. And so far, Cassius Stanley has actually been the one to step up. But, um, yeah, I do worry you, just like you said, you do worry that over time things fade away. Um and one thing we were talking about while we watched the game is that these games, uh, there's not too many important ones before we get into January. Uh, obviously, we have a huge one against Michigan State. This year, we have an ACC game against Virginia Tech um, before the holidays. But there are not a, a ton of chances to prove yourself. And the few minutes that he had today, I feel like, unfortunately, have a chance to resonate in Coach K's mind for a long time. 
and contribute to that narrative and limit what his opportunities are as we go forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Aaron, let us talk now uh, about a question we just got from Twitter. Um, we're getting questions on oh, Twitter? We're getting a question on Twitter because I put it out there. We've got four, believe it or not, even oh, at wow. this late, late hour. Uh, Aaron, uh, where was Joey Baker? This comes from Charles Cushman on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to extend the question and say, is Joey Baker uh, a tragic figure? He was on the bench the entire game. <laughs> He didn't play. Mystery solved. He didn't play. Uh, so we played, we played nine nine players um, in this game, mm-hmm. uh, and one of them was was Wendell Moore. Ouch! <laughs> I'm sorry. Are we Brutal. Get- <laughs> that was cold blooded. <laughs> that was he, very cold. I love it. He chose to wear the number zero. That means oh. something. It means something. Um, I, I think we talk a lot about players' psychology. Uh, in terms of their their in-game performance but but he's either chosen the symbol of of the infinite or he's chosen you know uh the cipher you know he's nothing um uh, so like, he's either egotistically beyond belief or ultimate he's a, non, a non-entity yeah. right uh, it could be both in in the same thing i wore uh, number zero uh in youth sports <laughs> um, speaking from experience i see yeah uh uh so yeah okay Let's look at this game, right? And, and I think you were, you were kind of getting on me while we were watching it because of, of my my definitely perverse long view uh, of of the basketball season, uh, which is to say, what does this game mean, right? Mm-hmm. This is the first game of the year. You play a big opponent on a neutral site game, and and the the traditional answer is, what does this mean? Well, this this gives you experience for the tournament. Uh, it gives you experience under the bright lights on the big stage. Uh, against the best competition and then you get to see what you can work on bullshit uh this game is 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 for trying things out against an opponent that is as talented as you um or or should be at least as close to as talented as you if you're only playing nine players in this game then you're not really getting a look at everybody uh, what is it? The fourteen on the roster, or something like that. You know, two or, mm-hmm. or three are are the end of the bench guys. Um, uh, why not try things out uh, in this game? What is the uh, uh, again, other than the um, you know the disappointment that we all feel when the team loses? I always think that you know the team should try to to do as many things, even if it leads to a large number of losses uh, before the tournament because there's only one loss that matters uh, at that point, right? Obviously, you can't lose enough games uh, that your your seeding is really uh, very, very badly impacted or uh, you don't make the tournament at all. Uh, but you should try to to lose that sweet spot number of games, then you know uh, uh, pull off 13 wins in a row, right, heading into the tournament, and win those six games. Um, uh, and if you're not trying things now, when taking the L would be uh, uh, just fine, right, from from a, a making the tournament uh, standpoint, then what are you doing? All right, I'm going to disagree with you slightly uh, on some points and majorly on another's. I The reason I think this is a reductionist sort of viewpoint um, number one, I'll, I'll approach you on your philosophical wavelength here, um, or I'll attempt to anyway. I'll get close. Uh, I won't fly too, too close to the sun, but I will say that um, adopting a more European worldview where regular season games, even if in our American playoff systems, they don't matter, I think they should matter. Mm-hmm. I think they, they have a, a sense of like, this is a game I wanted to win. And again, it doesn't make or break your season if you lose. We wouldn't be here crying the blues if we ended up Mm -hmm. losing by two points instead of winning by two points. However, I I do think there should be a certain amount of pride in that. And uh, 
while there is more room for experimentation in November, and I am not arguing that I definitely would have loved to have seen Joey Baker, uh, I do still think that these are games you want to try to win. Um, and the next thing I want to say, uh, my major sense of disagreement is that I believe winning is contagious and I believe losing is contagious. I don't think you like can experiment and lose games and then suddenly turn on the faucet and go win 13 in a row. Um, probably you could find examples of that having happened in college seasons past, but for the most part, the win, the teams that win the most throughout the year tend to also go uh, and win the most in the tournament. So I don't like the idea that... Um, Simply losing this game by two points would be fundamentally the same thing as winning by two points just for the mere fact that it's November. I think you want to win because you leave with a different emotion, you leave with a different set of confidence, and it does influence whether you're going to win or lose throughout the rest of the year. So that's where I would pick a bone with you, sir. Just to add my two cents into this disagreement, um, I think... So I just looked back at the... uh, box score and the stats for the Duke Kentucky game last year. And we played 11 players. Granted that game ended up being outrageous um, in terms of point differential. And so there was more space to test out more players and like get them into the rotation. Um, And so that's slightly different than this context, but I do think coach K generally has a history of putting guys into the rotation during non-conference play and testing out different lineups to see what meshes, what doesn't mesh. Um, And then once we get into ACC, that kind of flips and he kind of settles on his, you know, eight guys. And then those are the guys that he uses throughout the season. Um, And so I, I think there's a balance point between finding that space of experimentation and also in this context, feeling the pressure. And I think in some ways you have to read your team to see what they can handle. Could this team have handled a loss here tonight? Or did this team need to buckle down, tighten their rotation and pull for the W? And in, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say that in the coaches working with the team regularly, they probably have a feel for the players' emotions on how they're going to handle those things. And they wanted to set them up in the best way possible to get the thing they needed to to kick off the season. And there's also the flip side, right? If we had lost, then there's the possibility that they come out swinging with a chip on their shoulder for the rest of the season, right? And that can be a good thing too. And so I think kind of regardless of what way you spin it, win or lose in this particular context for this game, it, if we had lost, it would have been a good loss that could have set us up for a tough and tenacious season and this team really coming out with some more grit. But even with this win and having to fight it out, even with you know the handful of guys who played, I think that sets them up to say, I can play out here with these big bodies and I can be physical and I can be strong and that's going to be a good thing down the season. So I think it was less a philosophical thing and more a what does this team right now need? Well, and if you put me on the spot, my answer to that, and Aaron, you can have your own perspective, is that a team of young, a young team like this needs the confidence of, of, like you said, Ariana, being able to play physically with these guys. But I think they proved something to themselves about toughness tonight. And I do think that resonates. And again, it doesn't mean they're going to go to the Final Four. It doesn't mean we won't have a disastrous second round loss at some point. But I, I think those things have value. That's my personal bias. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Also, I did look up uh, a little bit more info on Wendell Moore and on an article I found. One of the things that he said to a reporter was, um, I'm not planning to be at Duke one year. So that also opens up the possibility that he's doing a good job. (laughs) (laughs) But in regards for the amount of time he has to figure out who he is on the court and for this basketball program, he's probably anticipating that he has a little bit more time to to find himself. I mean, he could be here five years <laughs> this rate. Uh, well, but but I think that's inter- that's interesting, and I, I understand we want to we want to address the readers' questions or the listeners' questions. Oh yes, but, but go ahead. Um, we have we have all the time in the but, world. But fine. What's the atomic unit of of basketball? Um, is it four minutes? Uh, the the time between the TV timeouts. Uh, is it forty minutes? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game the game length uh, where you're assigned a, a win or a loss based on the number of points that you score. Uh, is it the um, uh, the conference season, right? Is that the unit? Um, Coach K messes with time. Uh, uh, my understanding. No, 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 no. <laughs> he messes no, with your mind I'm, and time. I'm listening. No, I'm, listening. Is, I'm just I'm just laughing in, in gleeful anticipation. I this can't is know. this is real. Uh, that that the um, and it's changed the way you know. Um, 
uh, when you see something one way and then you, you can't unsee it. Mm, um, yep. The tournament, the, the, the NCAA tournament, is three tournaments, right? Yeah. Three, mm-hmm. four-team tournaments. Yep. And, Absolutely. Um, what he's done is made the, the six games that you have to win into three miniature four-team tournaments. And you just have to be the winner of that weekend's tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what's the what's the atomic unit there? Is it is it the weekend, right? Um, uh, is it we just need to win this first half? Uh, uh, so I, I think that you know obviously, and you need to understand this about me is that I'm I'm not a I'm not a winner, right? Uh, uh, in in the sense that. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I was maybe competitive, but but not not so not so to the point where uh, you have to win all the time. And and uh, I've always felt that it's kind of unfair that the game ends at a certain determined point and that a winner is declared at that point. Uh, but I can't deny the psychological effect, right, of saying, "Well, we won the game," uh, and a win is a win. But in November. Yeah, I, I mean, and again, this is. Uh, can I can I talk about the way you play tennis? May I bring that up? Of course. Yeah, it is funny because Aaron and I met playing tennis, and <laughs> I'll make this quick. But basically, your style of playing tennis is that you will play the same no matter what, and it's you go for everything on every point. It is my perception of you. Not that you're like a crazy tennis player, but um, I con- contrasting you with Ivan Ross, who's another person that we constantly play tennis with. Ivan is a consummate winner in tennis. Mm-hmm. He wins almost all of his yes. matches. Um, and like in a given match with you, I know you guys just played the other day. I didn't see it, but I would imagine that if there was a highlight reel of the 10 most attractive shots, you would have eight or nine of them or maybe all 10. But of course, he won the match because that's what he does is, is he wins matches. And so it's funny to hear you say that uh, about Duke. But I do want to throw this at you, too, for both of you. Um Talking about the atomic unit, I think, is a fascinating question of what's Mm -hmm. most important. One thing, Ariana, you and I brought up the other day is that there is no regular season championship in the ACC. Mm. Uh, And we all know there is. We we look at the records and stuff like that, but there is no like official title regular season ACC. The ACC tournament is so much more valuable in popular Mm -hmm. perception. And, of course, the NCAA tournament is the most valuable. Um, And, Aaron, talking about your... You know, units of weekends in the NCAA tournament, I would even say that a Final Four appearance, which in your telling is winning the second weekend, uh, is more valuable probably even than an ACC tournament win and certainly more valuable than winning the ACC regular mm-hmm. season. So I, I do think that's crazy. I, I just don't think that should be what it is. I would love Duke to win an ACC regular season championship, the mythical one that yeah. we haven't seen in years and years. I think it's been a decade at least. Um, but yeah, Ariana, what, <laughs> while we're here and talking about this, what do you oh. think about that? Because I think it's what a skewed thing where a November win means absolutely nothing, but even a fucking conference regular season championship means nothing. That to me is unfair and, and wild. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, kind of a commentary on the like popular perception of the game and the ability of like those big moments to draw crowds and then draw money. Um, And so that's why those things get pushed so hard in the public eye, as opposed to things leading up to those moments, like the regular season. Um, And so it's interesting to see almost like a, Uh, like balance. So like several things that came to my mind just now are like one um, in looking at last season's um, teams and like how things played out and like Virginia um, ending up winning the like national title, like friends of mine who are like hardcore college basketball fans and hardcore Duke basketball fans are so quick to point out that like Duke was the only team to beat them last year. Sure. Yeah. And like to, to see the like balance of like how those two things are held in relation to one another, um, I think is a, a another kind of way of looking at this whole conundrum of what is the like winnable unit in basketball, um, because those things like those those wins against Virginia were big ones, right? Um, and so it it is. I don't know. It's an it's an interesting conundrum, um, but I think. 
for folks who are like hardcore basketball fans, they recognize that it isn't always the trophies that you win that are the end all be all of how important or how your season went. Um, I think it does come down to, so, you know, Aaron, you mentioned, is it the four minutes in between TV timeouts? And I think sometimes it does come down to those big hustle moments, right? That can really like crystallize a season or sometimes like moments that don't go according to plan that can crystallize season. So like I'm thinking in the 2010 Duke team that went on to win the national championship, there was a game where like Kyle Singler literally flew out of bounds into the announcer stand chasing down a ball. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And that one moment got them all fired up and in the zone to keep going. Or similarly in those moments where like, you had, you know, Tyler Thornton floor slapping to get all the defense right. fired up to get going, right? Sure. Yeah. Sometimes it is those teeny tiny moments that if you win that moment, then you've got it. And that's something that you walk away with and you you hold on to. Um, and I think about it similarly with how like football works, right? So in college football, right? Players have stickers on their helmets commemorating big moments. Yeah, that they've yeah, gotten. that's a great mm -hmm. point. Um, and like I've... Um, worked with uh, like the football team at like Duke. I used to tutor students and um, in their facility, right. in some of their different like practice rooms or stuff like that, where they like talk with their like players and do their team meetings. They have that stuff on the wall too. So when you're coming in for practice and you're getting ready to like go over game tape or things like that, you're reminded of the moments that you won. Yeah. And I think that does a lot in terms of building a team in terms of looking at the season entirely. It's a great point and it's a great question, Aaron, because it's it's made me also like kind of looking at myself and what I how I would personally answer that question, what my own biases are. And I think like part of it is for me, I think aesthetic, because I would say that I think the most fun and the most pleasure I've ever gotten from watching Duke basketball was the Kyrie Irving year before Kyrie got hurt. Mm -hmm. And I still maintain that if he hadn't got hurt, that would have been probably the best college basketball team ever assembled. I know that sounds hyperbolic, but I really do think the style they played with him and Nolan Smith was yep. incredible. Um, but I think like on a broader level, I clearly the atomic unit to me that matters most is the game. Um, because I believe in I do believe in wins and losses and I do find myself going yeah like a regular season championship should win and when I look at like you know UVA winning the title last year well you know the Auburn game in the semifinals mm -hmm. they had to get incredibly mm -hmm. lucky and yep. in any yep. short especially a single elimination tournament yep. it is just so fluky unless you have an historically dominant team okay yep. so we all knew Kentucky under Anthony Davis was going to win because they were that good any other year I, th I would say that happens once every five or six years maybe mm -hmm. any other year it's it's really uh, the team that gets luckiest in the key yeah. moments or yeah um, look at the two Florida teams that won um yeah. titles right yeah, they were like the you just you knew yeah. going in that they were going to take it 100 percent, and like maybe duke in 92 well but even then you needed right. a shot against kentucky yep. i mean there, there yep. really is uh so few of those teams um before aaron you want to finish this off on that one before we go to uh our twitter no all right so we just have a handful here um let's engage the audience my friends if we will First of all, Stephen Dackness, uh, Aaron, you tweeted before the game, after Duke loses to Kansas by 12 tonight, you can listen to Shane Ryan. Well, you're, you're promoting the podcast, which we appreciate. But Stephen Dackness says, this didn't age well. Go Duke. Uh, so you've already got a hater out there. Congratulations. Well, it's not me that that uh, this person is hating. Um, I, I don't come up with the predictions oh. uh, for the game. They, they come to me from a special spirit and... Uh, the special spirit um, has some kind of different plan um, uh, for this one. I can't explain it. Um, I'm just I'm just here to report what I see. Yeah. And uh, um, well, Aaron, can I just say it's a beautiful system because there's absolutely no personal accountability. Huh? There's absolutely no personal accountability in this system of yours. I'm sorry, I don't understand. <laughs> exactly. It just never redounds to you. But I will say it's remarkable mm. that um, you say this because, Ariana, you told me last year for the first time that you also do get these special premonitions. I think today didn't really have one. It doesn't happen for every game. Are you saying that today there really wasn't one? So about a, 
a week ago getting close to this game because a couple of friends of mine were uh, at the game tonight and they were like talking to me about how excited they were. And I was like, I'm pretty sure we're going to get walloped. And then that feeling softened. And like today on game day, I was actually feeling pretty good because when I have that gut feeling that Duke's going to lose, I don't even want to watch it. And like I can remember, I was thinking about this earlier today. I can remember our loss to Mercer and I didn't want to watch it. And friends dragged me out to go watch it in public. And I was just like, as things started spiraling out of control, I was like, I didn't want to be here for this, guys, because I <laughs> knew we were going to lose it. And so it does. It ebbs and it flows. But it's really more on the loss side of things that I'll have like very strong feelings like this is not going to go well. I don't want this score near me. Um, and then I watch it anyways. And then I, you know have tiny aneurysms but hey that's awesome that's the price you pay for being a fan all right shocker uh bringing us back down to earth shocker salmon who hopefully will join us at some point he's a staff writer for the ringer um good guy duke grad uh what month in the year do i tweet frustratingly about this team december january or will they make me wait for a second round loss in march (laughs) pretty fair play in in a lot of ways (laughs) um any perspective on that from either of you uh Maybe it's a wait and see type thing. Let's. Yeah, we got to look at the schedule. I know. So, uh, in. I mean, in December, right? We've got Michigan State, VTech, Wofford, Brown, BC, and Miami. Which we're playing Miami away. And Ooh. those games are always contested. Like, yeah. I don't know what Laranaga does, but he almost always has our number. Uh, please, Laranaga. I refuse to let the tilde go unpronounced. <laughs> it's one of, my, one of my biggest pet peeves that nobody pronounces the tilde. Like, and it's Fair. not pronounced. I'm like, just take it away then. Fair. You've lost the tilde. Yeah. Um, in January, we get a little bit, uh, I don't know. We've got uh, GTEC, Wake, Clemson, Louisville, Miami, hit and i think that's probably going to be with the exception of like miami again at home like that'll maybe be a contentious game but i think we'll probably be fine there and then in february that's when things like start to get a little bit more difficult i think we definitely have a much tougher um part in february so i definitely say that's probably when the headache's gonna set in um because we play syracuse on the road that's when we play unc at unc we play florida state yeah that's, um, a, that's a stretch right so there. yeah and like bc is in the middle there and like that one's probably not going to be too bad, but in between those other games, that'll probably be rough. Um, and honestly, like if you had asked me last week before seeing the team play Kansas tonight, if we were going to get bounced in the second round, I probably would have said it's a possibility um, that I didn't think we had the like the mental toughness and that we could get kind of caught by surprise by a team um, and then get bounced early. And I feel a little bit better in saying that we're likely going to make it to the second round. You can tell by the intonation of my voice. That's that's an extended falsetto. That is an extended falsetto. I think that might be a record. Um, That's the Kansas turning it over 28 times of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But in a good way. (laughs) In certainly a a way that we all adore. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're 100% right. Um, When the rubber meets the road, we still don't know what this team is going to be like. And, you know... You know, scattering reports, teams are going to figure us out, and we're yep. going to figure other teams out. Um, well, well, why not just go ahead and, and tweet with frustration all season long? I that's mean, fair. It's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I, I told you, my stepdad probably three times already in this game has called for Coach K to be fired. <laughs> uh, to call it an annual tradition is is a misnomer. It's just a, you know, what is the atomic unit of my stepfather to me mm. to be Coach K to be fired? <laughs> it's down to the minutes and seconds, uh, whatever it is. Um, all right, Alicia Santanella, Ariana, um, you'll love this one. Do you not have to tuck your jersey in anymore? Re Vernon K. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get this. I get where this is coming from. I understand it. Right? We even have a chant in camera that tells other teams' players that they need to tuck their shirt in when it becomes untucked. It is a thing Only that is very near and dear to our hearts, our snobby, snobby Duke hearts. But I'm pretty positive that his jersey is just too short, right? Because even for the exhibition games and even at the blue-white scrimmage, his jersey came untucked in, like, 
one possession. And so I don't think it's his fault. I think that they did not plan for how long his torso is and his jersey is too small. That's that's what <laughs> I got. Because Matt Hurt has a similar problem and his jersey comes untucked very quickly. And then you have Jordan Goldwire who rolls his shorts up because his shorts are too long. So whatever is Nike, whatever Nike is doing to make our jerseys, they need to measure our guys better. I just like to think that Duke has like a 92-year-old tailor who's been with the team forever and is losing his eyesight, but nobody's like mean enough, cruel enough. They just have to like keep him on. So they have to adjust based on like, you know. This is what he made. Old so Mr. just Blimey wear it. Shire. Like, yeah. Um, Aaron, there, there, is there, there is that guy. Oh, there is? Yeah. His name? I can't say. Okay. <laughs> it's a secret. I've it's, been I've been in the equipment room. We haven't talked at all about your mascot career, but we're gonna we're we gonna should. put a bookmark on that one. Yeah. We're approaching the hour mark. Yeah. We have many more of these, unless Aaron quits on us after today. But I hope you won't. Well, uh, someone said a rude thing online about my tweet not aging well. So that's it for you. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm done. Tapping out. <laughs> Don't no, want but it. I'll t- I'll tell you what. Uh, if if they're clicking, um, some media cliche here. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's, yes. that's what you're, you're ending yeah. with? Yeah. Um, I'm just Stephen Dockness was the name of the guy who tweeted that. And if he disappears, folks, look to Aaron Kirschenfeld. No, no, no. I love all my fans. <laughs> and haters. And also, as the IRA would say, what's the use in disappearing somebody? It has to be more public <laughs> to make a point if you're gonna if you're gonna take action. Hey, no threats on this podcast. That's Woo-hoo! parody that I was just doing. <laughs> it was such a joke. Um, okay, so that was uh, a very fun show. We are the Cameron Lazies. Thank you both. Um, Colorado State is the next game. Yeah. I am going above and beyond the call of duty tomorrow morning. I am talking with a reporter from Colorado State. Uh, whose name is Justin, and I'm going to get the lowdown on that Sweet. squad because I have no idea and I don't want to do any research, so I'm just going to ask him. Um, and we're going to we're going to put together, I don't know how it's going to work, if one of you guys is available or if it's just me, but we're going to put together a little podcast that will come out um, probably Thursday night or Friday morning before the Colorado State game. Uh, again, Aaron Kirschenfeld, Ariana Ely, would you like to say any uh, profound last words before we say goodbye to our listeners today? Uh, I think for me, my big takeaway from tonight's game was that our defense is far better than I anticipated it being. Um, And I think I mentioned in the first podcast when we were kind of making our season predictions um, when it came to like vocal leaders and being worried about that. Um, And I was like, you know, you expect that from Jav and Jack because there are, you know, captains. And to see Jack White and, and Javin on the court really putting the pressure on for defense and really talking at and to their teammates i am really excited for the two of them in their senior season mr kirschenfeld you're gonna think this is petty but i uh, always think it's much more fun to wake up the next day and go to work after your team wins uh, <laughs> than when they lose <laughs> so uh, i'm really glad that they won tonight uh, because i'll feel better tomorrow about it well done. Yeah, I um, I just would say that uh, Grayson Allen has been avenged. Bill Self has been defeated, and uh, I hope the NCAA finishes off with Bill Duke Self started looks tonight. good. He looks good. He's lost He's some trimmed. weight. Trimmed He's, down. He doesn't eat anymore now that his program's on the verge of being uh, annihilated into dust particles mm. by our everyone's favorite organization, the noble NCAA. Ba-ba-da-ba. All right. Goodbye, everybody. See you soon. Bye. Woo.